Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck and the Success League. StrikeDeck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. The StrikeDeck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top-performing customer success team that drives retention and revenue for their organization. We also offer training programs for CSMs and customer success leaders. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hare, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. I'm excited because Lauren Costella is back on the podcast today. She is the Vice President of Customer Success at Medrio, a member of the Success League Advisory Board, and a frequent blogger on a variety of customer success topics. So today we're going to be talking about how to optimize your hiring process for customer success roles. Lauren, welcome back to Strike Deck Radio. Thank you, Kristen. I'm thrilled to be back and to be speaking with you and talking about this great topic about hiring. So it's been a little while since you were last on the podcast. Can you share your background and path into customer success with the listeners? I'd love to. Well, I certainly found my calling in customer success. I absolutely love this space. Hopefully it comes through in my voice. But I'm fortunate enough to have my dream job, actually, overseeing Medrio's customer success team, which includes support professional services, and our customer outcomes team, which is the team that houses our CSMs. Prior to Medrio, I worked at different uh, companies in the SaaS space, such as Searchmetrics and BrightEdge, and I served as senior management and directorial positions there. I also serve as a board member for the Customer Success Network. I, as you mentioned, serve as a speaker and thought leader in the customer success space, and I also publish articles on the Success League blog, as well as my customer success playlist blog. Earlier in my career, I also worked in strategic communications uh, as an advisor for the U.S. Department of Defense at the Pentagon. And a fun fact about me was I was a distance swimmer for 17 years, and I hold two national titles in the 1,500-meter freestyle. That is very cool. Um, I love it when people bring those kinds of um, experiences to the show because I think all of your experiences really contribute to customer success. And I think you learn a lot from sports. I'd love to hear what you think, but I think that gives you a lot of discipline and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of ways of working with other people in the world that really contribute to you know, your career. I, absolutely. I mean, tell me your perspective on that. <laughs> I think it's uh, absolutely accurate. So as a, as a former athlete and elite athlete at that, I think if I were to take away one discipline, it's patience and realizing that sometimes achieving excellence takes time and there's a lot of learning experiences. And I think we'll talk about that today with our topic in hiring specifically, because even that takes a little bit of practice and patience. Yes. But uh, swimming and I think athletics certainly provides that discipline. And I think being able to access that uh, over time in my career has been monumentally helpful. That's fantastic. 
So Lauren, I know because we've been working together over the past year that you've had a number of changes to your team and your approach to customer success at Medrio. Can you give the audience some background on Medrio and what your team structure looks like at this point? Absolutely. So first and foremost, Medrio is a clinical trial software company, and we're the best in class for small studies. That's 500 subjects or less. And we specialize in device oncology and diagnostics and early phase studies. And the Medrio mission is really simple. It's cure all known disease with clinical trial technology. And we take that really seriously. We really want to impact humanity and make a difference in the world. That's fantastic. I love that mission. Yeah. So um, I, I, I don't know if you wanted me to talk a little bit about our customer success team, but um, about a year ago, we had 11 people uh, in the customer success organization, and that was across support, CSM, and professional services, which was actually only a training team at that time. And now, a year and a half later, uh, we're a global CS organization of over 25 people, with folks in California, Ohio, Slovakia, England, Australia, and Japan. And we're pretty proud of the results we've had in this past year. We just did, we actually just got back yesterday, um, a third-party survey, and we had done interviews with over 100 customers. And we found out that customer success is a major driver for their repurchase and recommending us. And our NPS score sits at 55. And for customers who've been with us five years or longer, it sits at 83. So we've grown really fast and we still focused on maintaining a really proactive customer experience and one that customers really do appreciate. And I think it stems from, and I will always be an advocate for this, making sure that your CEO is bought in and our CEO, Mike Novotny, is absolutely a huge advocate uh, for customer success and for making sure that your customers are taken care of. It's a core value of ours, customers first, and making sure that all departments really play a huge role in that. So needless to say, growing and uh, hiring is a big piece to our success as well. And I'm excited to talk about that topic with you. Lauren, you recently wrote a blog post for the Success League on what you've learned about hiring over the past year. You were really candid about some of the mistakes you made and had given a lot of thought to the changes that you made to your process because of those challenges. I love it when our guests are open about some of the negative things that happen when you're in leadership because it happens to all of us and we can really learn from each other. Uh, Before we get into details, though, can you tell the group about the cost of bad hires and why it's so important to get your hiring process right? Sure. I think it's a really great topic to talk about, and I'd I'd love to talk about the cost of that. So first and foremost, I would like to recommend to everybody this book, and it's called The Who Method for Hiring. It's by Jeff Smart and Randy Street. And it really paints a clear picture of the costs, generally speaking, for poor hiring. But one line that I think is critical for this particular topic is their research points to a poor hire can actually cost 15 times the employee's base salary in hard costs <laughs> and productivity loss. Wow. <laughs> so do the math there. If you have a 100K employee, that's $1.5 million or more. And then if you have a bigger company and multiple people are making poor hires, that is just huge losses for you and your company. So if I were to reverse that statement, let's put it this way. Hiring the right people increases productivity and profitability for you and your company. And in my case, I personally just felt the pain of poor hires. It really demoralized our A players. It cost me my time to correct some of that behavior and keep the team motivated. 
And honestly, we just didn't gain anything by having uh, poor people and poor hires in place. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. We all sort of intuitively know that a bad hire costs a lot. Um, but I've never heard the 15x metric before. That's amazing. Uh, and that's a lot of money, especially if you've got people, you know, in the Bay Area or in New York City who are expensive um you know, expensive employees, that's a lot of money. Um, it is. I was shocked yeah. by that metric. And I, uh, I probably will mention that book a couple of times because I found as a leader, uh, reading more uh, industry-related uh, books and also reading things about hiring and training are super critical. And this one was just super eye-opening. That's great. Yeah. I love it when we get resources like books and articles and podcasts here on the show. So you wrote an article about this for the Success League. And one of the, the first things you mentioned in your article is the phrase, fire fast, hire slow. <laughs> and <laughs> I've experienced that with my own teams firsthand. Uh, can you explain to the audience why you think that's an important best practice? Absolutely. So I mentioned it in my last answer a little bit, but honestly, keeping C players among A players is pretty simply demoralizing and it's frustrating yeah. to people who have to carry you know the heavier load for those that aren't pulling their weight and i think you'll see this not just in customer success but you see it in other organizations too so imagine for example when you have salespeople that are trying to hit a company number and one person is selling nothing and someone else is selling everything Keeping C and D players on a team is just really frustrating to the people who have to make up for those. And specifically, you know, for my team in our support organization, actually, last year, we were down to four people, which is crazy to think about because now on that team, we're 12 globally. And at the mm -hmm. time, we were offering 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. support, but we were moving to 24-7. So three of those employees were carrying all of the weight of ticket blasting, of following up with customers, picking up the phone, while the fourth person was really barely there. And some oh. people might think like, you know, you might think to yourself, well, isn't it just better to have a body there when you're short staffed and you don't have enough people in place? And I would have been one of those people who would say, yeah, just having someone there, maybe we should just keep them. But really, it's not true. That person showed up late barely took on tickets. And many times the support team would have to redo the work that that person was doing. And so what would be their motivation in doing that? Well, they were bonused on a 90% case CSAT uh, and they needed everyone to be pulling that weight. And when one person actually failed, a quarter of their, their cases would be failing. And so they really needed to step up to do that for their own self-interest. And right. let me tell you, the pressure to cover for someone else's mistakes and then also, you know, doing more work, it just, it, I mean, it caused so many issues and one member almost quit outright and we needed to make early moves to make sure that we kept her because she was a superstar. So my biggest advice to people is let those C or D players go and let them go fast because when you leave people on those teams, it just really demotivates the rest of the team who's really doing a good job. And most of the time they are happily um, able to carry the weight of that other other person without them there. 
Yeah, there's a book that I really love on management called The 12 Elements of Great Managing. I think I've mentioned that like 20 or 30 times on this podcast at this <laughs> point, but there's a whole chapter in that book. Um, the book is really about how to create engaged employees. And there's a whole chapter in that book about removing dead weight from your team and how dead weight is really demoralizing to the rest of the group and it causes disengaged employees. And they've done numerous studies on that. And it's really important to keep your keep your top performers performing um, that you get rid of those people as quickly as possible. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. Absolutely. One of the ways that you kick off the hiring process at Medrio is with a scorecard. We have something similar that we use with our clients at the Success League. We call it a role model. This is basically a written outline of the ideal candidate. How do you go about developing your scorecard and how do you use it to drive the hiring process? I would love to answer that since the scorecard is probably one of my favorite things that we've started to introduce at Medrio this year. So the scorecard, it actually comes again from this great book called The Who Method of Hiring. And the scorecard is actually just that. It's a scorecard and not a job description. So in the scorecard, we actually provide a brief description of the mission of the role. Then we do functional accountabilities. So for example, if I was hiring a director of professional services, which I am, uh, (laughs) it would be delivering professional services. Bookings might be a functional accountability. And then we actually put in metrics for the role, which we would hold that person accountable to achieving. And then we put in some competencies. What kind of experience would we expect that person to have? And then we put in our core values. This is who Medrio is. So it's simple, it's direct, it allows folks to know exactly what success looks like and what they're signing up for. So what's great about that is people can self-select out if they don't want to do what it is that's on that job scorecard. And so what's really interesting for our support team, for example, we have a certain number of cases someone is supposed to answer per month. We have the CSAT they're expected to drive. How many cases are supposed to be answered within one day or less? It's It allows people to actually decide, is this the right role for me or do I need to keep looking? And so when we interview people, one, we we are pretty sure we get good candidates on the screening phone calls simply because the people who don't want that type of role self-select out. Then when we actually start interviewing, we're evaluating that person based on what we know success looks like. Each one of those functional accountabilities, each one of those metrics, and it gets to the core of can this person do this job and will they fit in with Medrio? And it's been a game changer. Yeah, I think one of the mistakes I see people making with hiring is that they're comparing candidates to each other rather than comparing them to a standard. And if you compare candidates to each other and you have two sort of mediocre candidates, you're going to pick the best of the two mediocre candidates and you're going to end up with a mediocre employee. Whereas if you're comparing people to a standard, you're holding everybody to a higher standard and the mediocre people won't make the cut. Absolutely. And so, yeah, so I think having that idea of a scorecard or a role model is really great because it it removes that um, risk that you have when you're just comparing people to each other. 
Yeah. It's the ambiguity that you're getting rid of. When you have a description, it's just saying kind of a little bit more fuzzy is how I like to put it, which is not a bad thing. I think descriptions are good. But what's even better is when you can actually say, these are the exact things that I'm looking for. This is exactly how success will be measured. And when you can actually get down to brass tacks and your interview questioning, and when you can do it when you're actually testing an employee on what, what their capabilities are, you can line it up to what your definition of success is. And there is no ambiguity. You won't get the mediocre players because you know what success is. You know how to ask the right questions towards those. And when you get your answers back, it should reflect that. Yeah, absolutely. So I love that in your article, you mentioned being very clear in your communication about the hiring process itself. So all the steps, the timeline, all of the logistics for that. Um, This is too often, I think, overlooked. Why do you think that this is an important part of hiring great people? I think that's a great question. And I think it's, it comes back to our, when we establish a process, It demonstrates our commitment to the candidate and reflects that we respect their time as much as we expect them to respect our time. And so without a process, things tend to slip through the cracks, even if you didn't mean it to, they do. And part of, you know, the Medrio culture and what we're trying to demonstrate to candidates is that we respect you, we want you to join our company, and we have our things in place to make you feel valued. And I think when you don't have that process in place and when you overlook that, oftentimes you miss out on the A players because they don't feel like you've actually taken the time and that you're respecting the fact that they're spending time with you. So my recommendation is always establishing a process. It keeps everything straight. You make sure you cover all the right competencies and things that you're looking for in a candidate. And you make sure that your candidate stays engaged. And so when you find those A players, they're not they're not going to be lost in the shuffle. I love that. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back with the rest of the interview in a minute. Today, I'd like to talk about one type of consulting engagement we offer at the Success League. Customer success deep dives last between three days and two weeks and are focused on helping companies plan a customer success program tailored to their organization. Common deep dive topics include metrics and goals, hiring and compensation, customer journey mapping, and segmentation. Each deep dive session includes concrete deliverables, like business models and annual plans, that you can quickly put to use. If you need help with planning for 2019, a deep dive engagement is a great way to kickstart your efforts. Visit the consulting page on our website, thesuccessleague.io, for more information. I also want to mention StrikeDeck's new Customer 360 template. This free download is the best way to figure out if you're ready for a customer success tool. It is an automated spreadsheet that will help you keep track of all your current customers, generating an individual health score for each one. Quick reports can be easily developed through the Analytics tab, and tasks can be tracked on the Task Manager. If you're looking for a quick, simple to use yet robust solution for your CS needs, StrikeDeck's Customer 360 template is the tool for you. Download your copy today at strikedeck.com. And now back to our interview. So Lauren, let's talk about the interviews themselves. Many companies are way too focused on culture fit, in my opinion, and they 
fail to ask hard-hitting questions about each candidate's experience. It's great if candidates fit into your team, but I think it's also critical that they have the skills they need to do the job. Um, how do you design your interviews to ensure that you're getting someone with real relevant experience? It's so funny because as you were talking about, again, I'm going to go back to the Who book, but it refers to that method is the chatterbox method. Uh, so yeah. you get to know the person on a personal level and you like them and you could see them fitting in. But the real question is, can they perform the job? That's the right. most important thing. Do they have the skills that is needed to be an A player on your team and that who's going to make a difference? And so the method that we have for hiring uh, actually gets at exactly those things. So first and foremost, we have a scorecard that maps out exactly what success looks like. And then actually we go through a process and specifically with CSMs, for example, we screen applicants with four questions and those never change. Based on that screening, we bring people on site and we go through each job that that candidate has ever had with a set of five questions that really help to demonstrate what was that person doing there how did they perform? What was good and bad about that job and why they left? And then we go through each functional accountability we're looking, looking to understand, which is in our job scorecard. Okay. And we ask a set of, th of three questions there as well. Because all the questions are the same, each interviewer is asking about a different functional accountability or a different job. And so we cover everything we need to. And then we give the CSM, for example, uh, a, a, an actual exercise um, to go through while they're on site. So we give them a data set and we ask them to take this set of accounts and their portfolio and we ask them to organize it by risk. We ask them uh, why would they organize it that way and to tell us how they would solve for it. So we give them, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes to look at that data set to organize it and then we come back in. And we actually asked them, tell us about why you organized your accounts that way. How would you address the risk? And it's really awesome because that is what our CSMs are doing every single day. You're looking right. at your account portfolio. You're looking for risk. And while you might have systems in place uh, to help you identify that risk, it's about the thought process of which things should I attack first? Which things should I let go of? And that's what we're looking for when we give someone you know, a blank data set like this. And then after a candidate, if they pass that, we actually send them back home. <laughs> we give them a sandbox in Medrio, and we actually ask, we ask them to do something that our customers do, which in our case is building out a form. Uh, so this is something that our customers do all the time, and we give them you know, some background and instruction on how to do that. And we ask them to then present it back to us as if we're their customer and they are the CSM. And let me tell you, this is extremely eye-opening um, yeah. because you can actually start to, it's, it's just people we would expect to be amazing end up falling a little bit flat. And then others that you might, you know, kind of expect to maybe not shine are just superstars. We've had people go above and beyond and recommend to us you know, ways that our instructions could actually be even better in terms of building forms because of all the, the enhanced capabilities that we could add to it and stuff. It's just, it's incredible um, when you let people have a little bit of space to come back to you and show you that one, they really want the job, but two, that they're capable of it. So all of those steps and that process allows us to really get the right people. And we've had incredible hires since implementing it. 
That's great. I like the testing aspect of what you're doing, especially. I think that really helps you to see people in action. And when you see people in action, it's totally different than just asking questions Mm -hmm. and getting answers. Um, I also like that you brought up the idea of having people who are involved in the interviewing process assigned to specific questions or specific areas of the interview. I think that really helps with a couple of things that helps you to get deeper with each of the candidates. But I think it also helps to protect you against being biased in your you know, scoring of your candidates as well, because you, you are comparing apples to apples, which is great. Um, so I, I, I love that you take that approach to it. Yeah. You know, in, in most organizations, I think several different people and sometimes different teams are involved in the interviewing process. So once you've gone through that interviewing process, how do you and your team decide who to offer a job to? I think that's also a really great question. So because this is a Medrio process and we do this across all of our hiring, all of the teams who are involved in the interview process do the same thing. So when we involve other teams, They know what they're looking at with a job scorecard. They know the types of questions they're asking. And what we typically do is bring everyone together for a 15-minute debrief, and we literally go down that job scorecard and put A through, you know, A through F. What is this candidate? And it becomes really clear. And most Mm -hmm. of the time, everyone falls on, it, it becomes very clear who those top candidates are. And to be honest, all team members are usually on board with the A player because it reflects it in our quick debrief meeting, it's just A, 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 and no one has a problem when we actually decide who to offer the job to because it's evident right there. And it's evident because of the type of process that we go through where uh, we are consistent in how we ask questions, we get all that information back. And when people shine, they shine. They're A players across the board. That's great. I I have to ask because it kind of leads to this question. Have you ever had like a single dissenter in your group? You do. (laughs) Um, It's actually interesting. There's, there are on occasions where you'll have people, uh, I think it's actually, it's less about an A and then someone's like, it's an F. It's more of people are like B, B, A, 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 A. And so it's kind of like, is this an A player or a B player? And as Uh you go through so the way we kind of look at those candidates is where are they Bs? Are they things that, hey, we this is a nice to have or is this a must-have type of thing? Um, but most of the time, um, I would say that it's less about having someone who's a dissenter and this person would be terrible. It's more of like A, B. But then typically when you have a couple of candidates, you will get the person who's just A down the line. So as I tell people, if it's really like a strong maybe, it's probably a no. Okay. Yeah. That's that's kind of how we did it too. It, it's sort of like thumbs up, thumbs sideways, thumbs down. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we would have everyone thumbs up and one thumbs down, and then we'd really have to kind of explore what was going on and what kind of led them to that conclusion. Maybe there was something in that particular interview that showed up that didn't show up in any of the other ones, and um, you know that kind of thing. But it's it's always interesting when you're doing kind of a group decision-making process around bringing someone yeah. onto the team. It certainly yeah. requires, I think, as as you said, at least some exploration because sometimes, like, that's why you have a variety of people and you ask about specific functional areas. And so if, if one person really does have a poor experience, it's important to understand what that is and, and what it was. Yeah. And sometimes that could be a very key area and then would just require a little bit more digging. And with the right questions, you can usually dig that out and you want to avoid making a poor hire. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so at the end of your article, you mentioned that when someone's a great fit, you need to make the offer quickly. Why is that important? Yeah, so great candidates are one in a million, right? So when <laughs> yeah. someone is great, they often have many options. And we don't want to lose out on a star player because they're accepting another role because we took too long and we didn't actually make the offer when we should have. So our exec team actually waited too long for a key exec hire. And it was awful because even higher level positions, they're lengthier, they're more expensive. It takes a lot of time and energy just to get those folks out to be speaking with you. And so to lose out on that at any level is really hard. So I am always about acting with urgency when you have the right people, because let's look, let's look at it this way. When you have the right process in place, you don't need to hesitate. If you're hesitating, it's likely because you don't have the right process. And Mm -hmm. that is not getting you the right candidates. So if you constantly find yourself in this position where you're hesitating and making the offer, go look at your process and and analyze that because you should, through your process, weed out anyone who's not an A player. Yeah, I think it points right back to the idea of having a scorecard or a role model or some sort of standard that you're comparing people to instead of comparing them to each other. Because I think the root of hesitation is that you're comparing people to each other and then you're continually wondering, is there someone better out there? And if you're comparing people to a standard, you'll know if they meet your standard. And if they meet your standard, you can move really quickly with confidence Absolutely. because you know that you know that they meet your standard and they you know that they're going to be an A player. So um, I think that it goes right back to what we were talking about at the beginning. Absolutely. And I, I 100% agree with you because here's the thing. There's going to be many people who could actually do that role and do it well. Finding those people in the sea of people who can't do it is really hard. When you find that person, you don't need to hesitate. You can do it with confidence and invite them onto your team and they will kick butt because you have the right things in place to evaluate that candidate. And just don't wait. Like You lose really good people by having broken process and letting things fall through the cracks. Absolutely. So if a customer success leader is listening to this and they realize that they need to revamp their hiring process, (laughs) (laughs) which I know some of them probably are thinking about that right now, um, how would you recommend that they start? What is the first change that you would make? Well, first and foremost, I had to revamp mine, so I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, But the first thing that I would say is, and, and I'm making a huge plug for this, but read the Who book. I found it incredibly insightful. And they talk about creating these scorecards. And again, this goes back to probably everything that we've been emphasizing in this show, which is really you need to have that standard. Scorecards are that standard. They, At the very least, by having a scorecard for the role that you're looking for, candidates can self-select out. And at least you have a clear understanding of what success is. So even if you don't have all of the, the questions in place and all of the process pieces, the person or people who are going to be interviewing that person know what success looks like and can at least hit on those hard-hitting pieces that you need to evaluate a candidate. So I would say create a scorecard, read the Who book, and you're definitely 50% there. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree with you. I think those are, those are great starting points. You need to create your standard for what your jobs look like. And then from there, everything else flows from that. Your job descriptions flow from that. Your interview process flows from that. 
your hiring process flows from that. So you, you can um, really do that and then everything else will kind of be a lot more natural. Oh, it does. It does. It's like, it's the biggest piece of advice I could give to anyone. So if you have just even one open position, just go create a scorecard from that. And it's, it's incredible. And you'll actually start to think, oh my gosh, I think everyone on my team should have a scorecard. And in fact, this is going to be the easiest way I can start looking at performance by individual people that takes the subjectivity out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's a great place to start. So you've been on the show before, so this should be a very familiar question to you. Uh, what do you see as the biggest trend in customer success right now and why? That's always such a great question. And I'm probably going to use my last year's answer because I, I really do believe it. And I don't know if it's trending now, but I oftentimes like to look at where CS is going. And one of the things that I just am more and more convinced about is our ability to deliver a one-to-one customer experience, um, a one-to-one user experience. So even at the B2B level, we often think of customers as accounts. And really, accounts are just made up of people. And making sure that each individual person has this incredible experience is what's going to make customers super successful. I think about you know how I use Amazon as a consumer, and I know that's different than B2B, right? But each one of my customers and each one of the people who are using our product use it in a specific way. There's different types of people. Having the ability to deliver success at an individual user or champion level to me is where we need to constantly take customer success from a B2B perspective because I think that's the type of uh, uh, experience that's going to drive advocacy, obviously retention and growth because that experience of I feel strongly for this brand drives my repurchase. It, it drives how I'm going to, to use you and recommend you. And so I think that that's kind of where I see us going. I think we're obviously a, a far from there, but I think tools will develop to really um, help that. I think tools are already working in that space. I look at marketing and sales tools today on the pipeline. I think those are already adapting to the the other side of the business, which is the customers yeah. and the and the retention. So I can totally see it going in that way. But I would love to see it move that way. I'm going to be a total advocate for that. Um, and that's what we're trying to deliver for our customers today. Yeah, I, I see that too. And I think, you know, we sort of today do a lot of that with people um, and trying to kind of have those one-to-one relationships. And I think that over time that can become partially automated in even high-touch programs and fully automated in, you know, lower tech-touch programs. Um and so it, it'll be interesting to see how automation fits into that. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I know there's some people that sort of think, oh, is our, you know, our CSM jobs going to go away? I don't think CSM jobs are going to go away. Um, but I, I do think that automation will assist with that and get the, you know, the right customers, the right message at the right time. Um either through automation or through people. Absolutely. And, and even if yeah. even if it is automated, you will always need some high touch resources with larger accounts to even help connect some of those dots. So our CSMs are navigators and really the yeah. navigation between um, our departments and connecting those pieces together, that's needed. What's nice is, is that they would be able to do that in a better way or in a scalable way across a company where 
they aren't having to think about all these pieces that can and should be automated. I'm a full, huge fan of automation where you can have it. Um, I'm a, I'm a fan of having, you know, chat and, and communicating with people in the methods and ways that they're used to doing today. We have a whole generation coming up who's, who've never experienced life without an iPhone or without messaging. We have to be able to adapt to that. And some of that is not getting on the phone. Some people just do not want to be on the phone. So how do you deliver that in a way that allows people to get the experience again, that they individually want in the best way possible? And to start thinking about and exploring that to make a business change and to change your to, to change that with customers, like those those are heavy heavy hitting rocks and big things that we'll have to think about. Um, but I believe that we will get there, and I am totally looking into ways that we can we can do that. Even you know in Medrio, as we start to see new data yeah. managers come on and the things that they expect, a lot of people keep asking for chat um, in, in app and things like that. And so those are things that we really have to pay attention to now, especially as new generations, um, start coming into the workforce and expect different things, let alone, um, you know, are asking for them early. Absolutely. Well, Lauren, as always a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for being open about your experiences with bad hires and for being willing to share your tips on creating a better hiring process. I love hearing about companies who prioritize hiring. One of the best ways to build a top performing team is hiring the right people in the first place. So I appreciate your perspective and for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Kristen. And I and I have to thank Strike Deck and the Success League. I always have such a pleasure coming on these shows and I hope my tips just help people because at the end of the day, I believe that sharing information is the most important thing we can do as customer success leaders and just as a customer success community. And so um, if anyone wants to connect with me, um, of course, you can connect with me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at uh, L Costella. It's my last name. And then I'm a big LinkedIn user. So I'm, I adopted LinkedIn really early. I'm a nerd. So you can always connect with me on LinkedIn. I love it. And <laughs> Uh, you know, like I said, I definitely am involved in the customer success space uh, with the customer success network. So I oftentimes go to the customer su- success network meetups. So I would I would love to see people there. And um, let's just continue to share more great information because we can all benefit from it. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Lauren. Thank you, Kristen. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And finally, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.